got up here and I found a check that you guys left me. Apparently, though, you spelt my name wrong. My name's not Phil Boring, but we can change this if we need to. So you know it's up here. Um, Good evening, folks. Looking around, it's amazing to me that you chose to come here this evening. After working all day, possibly treated poorly by some incompetent boss or co-worker, I'm sure you were underappreciated. But faithfully, you, per- you persevered and came to church on a Wednesday night, only to find yourself surrounded by a motley crew of nobodies. Then to add insult to injury, you're going to sit here for 45 minutes and listen to this overfed, know-it-all, rant and rave about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. So let me change my introduction. Good evening, fools. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26, we're going to read 26 through 29. Now, um, I do have to give my wife credit where credit's due. She didn't write the sermon tonight, but she did help me get my boots on. Uh, She said something about she's glad that the church isn't a washing machine. I said, how come? She said, because your spiritual gift would be the agitator. (laughs) So um, if I haven't offended you, please raise your hand because I'll try harder. (laughs) Yeah, I I can't offend you. You've already put up with so much. (laughs) Oh, okay. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 29. Now, as I read this, I want you to take the time to actually look around yourself and see who's sitting in this auditorium. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, Not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not so that he might nullify the things that are, so that man, so that no man may boast before God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to freely come together and worship you. We thank you for how good you've been to each one of us, how you've provided for us this week, We thank you for the freedoms we enjoy. 
We thank you for our health. We thank you for the prosperity that you've blessed us with. Lord, we just pray that that you'll take our hearts and that you'll open them up to hear from you. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, according to this verse, we are not wise, strong, or noble. We were chosen by God because of our weaknesses. In fact, from the world's perspective, we are base, foolish, and despised people. We make God our crutch because we're too weak to have our own opinions. We're too foolish to be open-minded. And we're too prudish to not be judgmental. We're just pathetic hypocrites judging the world, condemning anything and everything the world considers fun. Now, the sooner we embrace this biblical principle, the sooner we can quit worrying about what the world says about us. The sooner we embrace this principle, we can quit complaining about our freedoms being taken away from us because they are going to be. The sooner we embrace this principle, we can quit worrying about the world's obsession with trying to cram immorality down our throats. The floodgates are broken. There's no stopping it now. Christian, this is your wake-up call. The Lord admonishes us in Revelations 3.2 to wake up and strengthen the things that remain. Wake up and quit wasting our time on useless things. Things that are passing away. Things that have no eternal purpose. Quit wasting our energy on trying to fit into the popular culture. Trying to be respectable. Like salt, obsessed with being sugar. Christians obsessed with being cool acceptable or being liked undermines the real purpose of the gospel, which is to provide hope to a dying world. The world is under judgment. It does not need us to be like them. Trying to make unsaved feel good about themselves does not provide sinners with hope. In fact, it validates their hopelessness. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 2, 17, The world is passing away, and also its lust." But the one who does the will of God lives forever. God's word and God's will 
are what we need to strengthen in our lives. Not pursuing the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, or the pride of life. The world thinks it's woke, but it's really just drank the Kool-Aid. Romans 1.22 tells us, professing to be wise, they have become fools. Tonight we're going to discuss a very unpopular biblical principle. And you can thank Darren for this. It's the principle of judging. In fact, I've titled this lesson, To Judge or Not to Judge. Now, like many other biblical principles, (coughs) the scriptures about judging appear to contradict each other. However, what appears as biblical contradictions often reveal God's judgment on the world. One of God's judgments is that he reveals himself to the humble while he resists the proud. He lets the humble see while blinding the proud. John 9, 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. I'm going to read that again. John chapter 9, verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. You see, it's God's judgment upon the earth that he opens the eyes of some and he blinds the eyes of others. John 3.19, again, This is the judgment. Now, four very important words before he starts into what he's going to say. He's calling this the judgment. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. Now, it's very important that we remember this biblical truth, that God's judgment upon the world is that the world is blind from the truth, and God's redeemed are able to see the truth, are able to recognize and respond to the light, to God's truth, to the gospel of Christ. In Mark... Chapter 4, verses, one and, uh, verses 11 and 12, Jesus is explaining to his disciples why he is using parables to teach. And this is Jesus speaking. 
to his disciples. To you have been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to these who are outside, get everything in parables. Now, remember, this is the disciples are puzzled because Jesus has started teaching in parables. And they come and ask him, why are you teaching parables? And Jesus says, okay, to you, to my disciples, to those who are following me, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, (coughs) they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. (coughs) God's judgment upon the earth. To the humble, he opens. He reveals himself to. To the proud, he blinds them from the truth. So let's start with that ever-popular statement, don't judge me. Have you ever heard that? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Have you ever said that? Surely somebody in here said that. I have to admit, I've never said that, but I have said things that were just as stupid. I remember once saying, now I'm not being judgmental, but guess what? I was being judgmental. (laughs) Um. The idea of don't judge me comes from Matthew chapter 7. Verse 1 and 2 tells us, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, you will be measured. Took me a long time to find that one because I had cut it out of my Bible a long time ago. Now, as I said before, many principles of Scripture that are very important have the appearance of being a contradiction. And the appearance of contradiction regarding these verses in Matthew arises when we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul is rebuking the church in Corinth for not judging a church member who is living in immorality. In fact, Paul says in verse 1, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you. That's what he writes to the Corinthians. And then Paul continues in verse 3 to pass judgment on this individual, saying, For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in the spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this. (laughs) 
Sounds like judgment to me. Not only judgment, very personal judgment. So how do we resolve this apparent contradiction in Scripture? Now remember, we're not going to be able to convince those who have rejected truth that there is no contradiction. No matter what we say, we're not going to get the world to quit saying, don't judge me. So our objective here tonight is to understand God's principles so that we can submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. And if the world continues to foolishly demand not to be judged, we need to just get over it. What purpose does it serve us to convince an unbeliever to believe the way we do? It has no purpose. When, I mean, an unbeliever is living in immorality, and I'm going to take time to convince him it's immorality. Why? No, I'm here to give him hope, which is forgiveness that comes through repentance. Um, so remember, the world is under judgment And that judgment actually prevents them from seeing the truth. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them. Because they are spiritually appraised. So again, our objective is... We're preaching to ourselves. We're spiritually appraising God's principles in order that we might submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. In order to spiritually navigate this apparent contradiction, we need to digest God's word and surrender to its authority. As I yield to Christ, the Holy Spirit separates my personal feelings and my own opinions from God's perspective, from God's word. As the Holy Spirit washes my mind with the word, my old self is being put to death. Scripture calls this process sanctification. Ephesians 5.26 Here Christ is talking, I mean the writer of of Ephesians is, is talking about Christ and his church. Referring, so that he, being Christ, might sanctify her, being the church. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Okay? The sanctification process that happens in the Christian life, is being washed by the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. Romans 8, 13. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's the reference to putting ourselves to to death. It's denying ourselves and submitting 
surrendering, yielding completely to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's back, jump back into Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read all the first six verses to make sure we have a, a, a complete picture of what Scripture is teaching us about do not judge. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, I love this next verse. And it's there for a purpose. It's not just a mistake that it was put here with these verses. Now, this is Jesus talking. And he says, do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before the swine. Or they will trample them underfoot. And turn and tear you in pieces. The judgment spoken of here in Matthew, telling us not to judge, is judgment based upon our, my own knowledge of good and evil, which came from the Garden of Eden. A consequence of eating the forbidden fruit. Genesis 3, 4, and 5. This is the serpent tempting Eve. Genesis 3, 4, and 5. The serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. <clears throat> that was Satan's temptation to Eve. Drop on down to Genesis 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, now this isn't Satan speaking, this is God speaking. Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. This is where mankind begins to decide for himself what's right and wrong. When we, res when we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we are to yield our own knowledge of good and evil and completely surrender 
to the divine authority of God's word. Proverbs 3 verse 5 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 14.12 goes on to say, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Our knowledge of good and evil puts us in a place where we we think we can negotiate with God. We can, Lord, you tell me what your will is and I'll decide if I want to do it or not. Oh, this uh, this must be the Lord because it feels right. Oh, I mean, it it's us putting ourselves on the throne. And it's contrary to being obedient, to being completely submitted to the lordship of Christ. Do you see how the verses in Matthew 7 warns me not to judge others based upon my own judgments, but to judge myself based upon a higher standard? The higher standard is God's word. My own judgments are hypocritical. My own judgments are self-righteous. My own judgments are condemned in Scripture. But when I judge myself from God's perspective, it's only then that I am able to see clearly. Now, it is very important for us to understand that verse I threw out there, verse 6, and to understand how it relates to these first five verses in Matthew chapter 7. And I'm going to read it again, verse 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before the swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and tear you in pieces. Now, based upon verse 6, it is necessary to discern between dogs and swine and between our own brethren. The principle here is to respect what is holy. It's not contempt for dogs or swine. Most often I've ever heard this this scripture used, it's in a derogatory term towards a certain person, referring to them as a dog or a swine. But that's not God's intent here. The, The principle here is that we are to respect what is holy. And we're to respect what is holy enough that we don't just casually throw it before those that have no regard to its value. To cast a pearl before the swine is to throw something that has value to me in front of something that that pearl has absolutely 
no value. And so the principle is recognizing that pearl is what's holy. And I need to treat it as such. (coughs) By making this distinction, the Lord wants us to understand that we need to interact differently between brothers and sisters in Christ and the unsaved world. Now, Matthew 5.44 says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you say, Charles, isn't that contrary to what we're talking about here? But love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you is a verse that governs personal dealing with one's enemies. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before the swine. This principle governs how one handles the reality of those who reject God's truth, of those who reject God's word. On the one hand, I'm responsible for how I treat individuals. Scripture's clear. Do not judge. Do not retaliate when wronged. Turn the other cheek. And the list goes on and on and on. But then on the other hand, I'm to be completely yielded to the authority of God's word, which includes both living by the word of God and proclaiming the word of God. So you ask, if I'm proclaiming the word of God, if I'm proclaiming God's word, am I not judging others? The answer is no. Because it's God's word that judges everyone. When I proclaim God's word, I'm not passing judgment. I'm proclaiming God's word. God's word has already passed judgment on the world. John 12, 47 through 48. If anyone hears my sayings, this is Christ speaking, and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. This principle is so clearly defined that even Christ didn't come to bring judgment on the world. He came to bring a solution because judgment was already upon the world. God's word has already judged. John 3, 17 and 19. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not 
is condemned already. Even Jesus did not come to judge because mankind is already judged and condemned. Jesus came not in denial of our sin or to make us okay with our sin, but to save us from the judgment and the condemnation we are under because of sin. Paul rebuked immorality within the church, but he did not rebuke the immorality among the unbelievers in the city of Corinth, which was one of the most ungodly cities in the world at the time. Jesus rebuked the hypocrisy of the Jewish religious leaders. But Jesus did not rebuke the evils of the Roman government or corrupt politicians. Let's look at Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5. We'll read verses 1 through 5. It is actually reported, now this is Paul again writing to the Corinthians because of what he heard. He didn't see it, he heard it, hearsay, okay? Paul's writing, it is actually reported, so he heard it, that there is immorality among you. An immorality of such a kind that does not even exist among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Now, it's not somebody's got his mother, it's somebody has taken as his own wife or live-in, whatever, uh, stepmother, some, his, his father's wife, but not this guy's mother. Paul goes on to say, You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in the spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled... And I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Getting pretty sticky there, Paul. Drop on down to verse 9. Stay in verse Corinthians chapter 5. Drop to verse 9. Paul writes, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters for then you would have to go outside of the world. 
But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. (coughs) Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? That's a question. He said, don't you judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, the unchurched, God judges them. So remove the wicked man from among yourself. We aren't called to judge the world. It's judged already. We're called to offer the world hope and freedom by proclaiming the good news, by proclaiming the gospel of Christ. However, we are called to judge ourselves. Matthew 7, 5 says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will, be, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus is in you unless indeed You fail the test. We are to judge ourselves. Galatians 6, 3 through 5. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. So we aren't called to judge the world, but we are called to judge ourselves. Then finally, we are called to judge the church. 1 Corinthians 5, 12, and 13. (coughs) Paul writing to the Corinthians again says, Do you not judge those who are within the church? It's a rhetorical question. But those who are outside the church, God judges. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 7. Paul goes on to write, Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, Are you not competent to constitute the smallest 
law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have courts of law dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother. And that before unbelievers? Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? What's interesting in this that Paul goes on in verse 9 to remind them of their past judgment, to remind them of their redemption, their sanctification, and their justification. Look at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were washed in the blood of Christ, redeemed. But you were sanctified, again. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. To the world we offer hope. The gospel of Christ. We offer it without judgment. Without taking rejection personally. Without grinding an axe. Or without keeping score. To myself, I reject my own understanding of right and wrong, completely yielding myself to the lordship of Jesus Christ and to the authority of his word. To the church, we judge. Judgment within the church is only possible when Christ is the head of the church. When we as individual church members have yielded to the authority of Scripture and are obedient to the following commandments regarding how we interact with one another. Romans 13, 8. Love one another. Romans 15, 14. Admonish one another. 
Galatians 5.13, serve one another. Ephesians 4.2, show tolerance for one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Philippians 2.3, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another. Colossians 3.13, forgiving each other. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, comfort one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, build up one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.13, live in peace with one another. Hebrews 10.24, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. James 5:16 pray for one another. And then John 1 John 1:7 fellowship with one another. Judgment within the church is not individual judgment the way I would judge you when I see you do something I don't like. Because within the church, when we're doing all of these things, and Christ through the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us and building us into his bride, one member engaged with another member. When there's judgments to be made, they're made... From God's word. Judgments that have already been proclaimed. Like an umpire that calls a ball game. Doesn't make up the rules as he goes. Those goals goals are already defined. So it's not that umpire making the judgment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that teaches us. We thank you for the process of sanctification. We thank you for the blessing of allowing us to see your truth and and giving us the grace to turn from our sin. Lord, we thank you for this church. It's such a blessed family of believers. It's We have so much benefit and love and So much of what your New Testament teaches us is very active here. Lord, we just pray that you'll not let us get caught up in judging the world or worrying about things that you've already set in motion. But give us a heart to share the gospel, to give hope to those who are out there saying, don't judge me. But also 
Teach us within the church to protect what is holy. Teach us within the church not to cast what is holy before the swine. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.